you do have to get your tissues out because this is our last sermon in this series, Moxie. And I know that makes you guys all sad uh, because this has been an absolutely fantastic series. But if you have some Moxie, which I hope you do at this point because it's been 15 weeks, then along with those tears should be a bit of joy because that's proof that you have Moxie. Uh, and a bit of peace, a bit of contentment along with those tears that you've got. Um, and someone asked me uh, this week how, how I'm going to be able to top this series. And I don't know. I mean, the series has been really good for me, for my mind, for my heart, uh, for just my life. Like, I feel different coming through out of the series, and I've heard from you guys the same thing. Um, but I'm pretty stubborn, as you guys are probably starting to figure out. And in my stubbornness... Um, I'm trying with all of my might, no matter what we're looking at, for God's word to cut you the way a surgeon would cut you in order to heal you. And there was a preacher that once said, uh, you know, I'm trying to get to this point that this preacher is. And he said, I preach as if I am a dying man preaching to dying men. In other words, I'm preaching this as if this is the last sermon I'm ever going to preach, and it's to people who, who this is their last sermon they're ever going to hear. And I'm fighting to get to that point, and, uh, and, and it requires moxie, actually, to get to that point. Uh, so, and today, well, for the last time, let me tell you this. Moxie, if you've got it, it means you've got courage, you've got grit, you've got guts, you're brave. It means that if there's something standing in front of you and you need to get through it, you will do whatever it takes to get through it because it's the right thing to do. It means you've got strength of character. It means you've just got this inner strength. But along with that moxie, you also have what we're calling Christian moxie, which includes all of those things. But at the same time, it includes you having a peace that the world looks upon you and looks at your life and says, this passes all understanding for in my life of how this person could have that amount of peace with what they're going through, or a contentment. You found the secret to having contentment, or to have Christian moxie means that you have a joy that is unshakable no matter what the circumstances are that you're in. And today, what we're getting at might be the most important way for you to get moxie. And I'm going to drop a bit of a bomb on you today, and, uh, and it's going to require you probably to really rethink the way you're living your life completely. But if you do it, it will be incredibly good for you. So let me read our verses. Philippians 4, verses 19 through 23. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right. So we all want to be happy. And if you ask people what they want most in life, nine times out of ten, people are going to say that they want to be happy. But the question is, how do you get to that point of happiness? Because here's what I want to tell you today. If you chase happiness... It's going to slip through your fingers the same way when you put your hands underneath a faucet and you try to grab that water, it slips right through your grip. The same thing will happen to you if you are chasing after happiness. If you want to be happy, you got to stop chasing it. So let me prove this to you. 
If happiness is everything for you, let's say you live back in the day and there's this evil tyrant that's coming to your land with your people. And this is time where you have swords and bows and stuff like that. So you, you, this evil tyrant comes and you're like, you're getting together with all your friends because you got to defend your village and all the people of the village. And you, you go out to about to do battle against this evil tyrant and you look out at this these warriors that are standing in front of you, and you say, that's not going to make me happy. But all of a sudden, everybody starts running, and you are paralyzed in fear because you think there's no way that running out there is going to make me happy. And so you turn around, and you run the other way, and you run a mile, and you finally, you're exhausted from running a mile as fast as you possibly can go, and you find the stream, and you get to the stream, and you drop to your knees. And as you're going to get some water from the stream, you catch a reflection of your face. And all of a sudden, all this guilt and shame flood into you because you just left all of your friends to fight a battle that you should have been fighting next to them because you were chasing happiness. And what has happened now? Happiness has slipped through your grip because you were chasing after it. Chasing happiness is the very thing that will make you lose happiness. If happiness is your main goal, then you're never going to have the grit that you need to get through things, difficult situations. Pain and suffering come in your life, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to run the best that you can away from that pain and suffering, and you're not going to face difficult things. And then when you don't face difficult things, here's what's going to happen, because your soul is wired in such a way that you are going to fight for what is right and what is good. And when you turn away from fighting for what is right and what is good, it's going to mess with your soul, and you're not going to be happy. But you are chasing happiness, and that's why you ran from pain and suffering but in running from pain and suffering, it made you unhappy. If happiness is your main goal and your marriage gets hard, what do you do? You bail because things are getting difficult. You say, this isn't making me happy anymore. And so here's what you do. You leave, and then two years years later, you get remarried, but guess what? You're in the same exact situation you were in before. Why? Because marriage is hard work. It's difficult. It requires some moxie. It requires you dealing, like facing the troubles, facing the situations that you are in together and dealing with them together. It's hard work. And so if you pursue happiness first, marriage gets hard, you're out. See, the problem is that's not the essence of marriage. So then, I just heard recently that 90% of marriages with kids with special needs end in divorce. 90%. So here's what that means. You have a difficult kid, so life is difficult, and it gets hard, and it gets harder, and you're like, man, I just want to get out of this. Like, I just, I got to chase happiness. I got to find happiness somewhere, and so you bail. Our culture today looks at love like cowards because we say, if this doesn't feel right for me in this moment, I'm out. Same thing. You're on that battlefield and you're like, I know, like, I'm next to my friends, but I'm running the other way because I'm scared of what's in front of me. So we look at love the same way. So we look at love like cowards. Any type of this, like, emotional, like, high and ecstasy that comes from love, like, oh, it's gone out of the marriage. Oh, we're done. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not talking about abuse here. You understand that, right? I just want to make sure everybody is understanding that. Or your kids. Like, some people are like, oh man, everyone around me is having kids, so I'm going to have kids because it looks like that's the right thing to do. And all these people look happy, so I'm going to have kids. And if I have kids, then I'm going to be happy, right? And then you have kids and you're like, oh my gosh, these kids are hard work. Like, I am not happy all the time with them. Like, I'm changing these diapers and then they get older and, you know, it gets harder and harder and harder. And you say, man, but it's worth it. See? 
It's hard work, but it's worth it. But it requires some moxie to be a good parent, to do what it takes. Or your job. Like, let's say you have a job that you really believe in, but it's hard. It's very easy to bail on it if happiness is your main priority. And then so you say this. You say, man, look at all this stuff. I've got to be a good husband. I've got to be a good father or a good mother. I've got to be a good friend. I've got to be a good worker. I've got to be a good, like, church person. I've got to be a good godly person. I've got to do all this stuff. And you say, oh, my goodness, how in the world am I going to love everybody with the amount of love it requires? It feels impossible. But that's what we're fighting for. That's what moxie is. You've got the grit, you've got the guts, you've got the bravery that's needed to love people. Like you are just loving people the best that you can and you're just fighting to love people. Even when it's painful. Even when it means you've got to suffer in order to love people because it's good and it's right. And so you do what's right in order to love. And then as you do that, what you will find is you have more happiness because you didn't run from what you knew was right. So here's my point. Responsibility will give you meaning in life. And when you have that meaning in life, you will stumble upon happiness. In other words, you've got to find something to live for, something that's deeply meaningful, and then you take responsibility for that thing that you're supposed to be living for. You say, okay, I'm taking 100% full responsibility for this. This is my thing. You devote your life to that thing, and as you do that, you will have happiness. And if you aren't someone, if you're someone that's not happy, it could very well be that you're just running from responsibility, that you just don't want to take any responsibility, or maybe perhaps you've taken too much responsibility. Like, maybe you're like, I'm going to go be president right now, and you're like, not ready. Maybe you're 10 years old, like now's not the time, but live into it. Take more and more and more responsibility, and the more you challenge yourself, the more responsibility you're going to be able to bear in life, and then as that happens, you're going to be changing the world because you had the moxie to continue to press on, and psychologists would agree with this. So taking responsibility gives you meaning in life, which will bring you into happiness, but then Here becomes the problem. What if you're taking responsibility for the wrong meaning in life? Could we be doing that? Well, if it's the wrong meaning, then probably. Probably that won't give you happiness. So what is the ultimate thing to live for? What is the ultimate meaning in life? What's the ultimate purpose in life? And this is the truth claim that I'm laying out there today that's going to be like dropping a bomb on you. What's the ultimate thing to take responsibility in? So back in the 1600s, this group of Bible scholars, these people who are so passionately about, so passionate about God's word, a bunch of them got together and they were like, let's ask some questions about what the Bible says and then answer them. Like, let's ask a question and see how the Bible answers them. And it was, it's, this is what a confession of faith is. And so these guys got together, all these people got together, and they said, the first question they asked, this is a famous question today, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is man's ultimate purpose? What is humanity's ultimate meaning that they need to chase after? What's the ultimate thing that man needs to take responsibility for in their life? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Other people would say it like this, glorify God by enjoying him forever. So the last two weeks, we've been talking about contentment and our desires and our, for pleasure. And what, what people would say is glorify God by enjoying him. So that means you take your desires and your wants and you turn them up to 10 and you run right past all of the pleasures of this world right into the arms of Christ. And by doing that, by taking joy in him, he gets glory. So here, here's how you got to follow this. God will give you the most joy. So you go to him and you see that he's giving you the most joy. So then you want him to be glorified. And as you glorify him in your life by the way that you live, others will see him and go to him and then they're going to get joy. And then they're going to want to see him glorified. And then they do the same thing and on and on and on. And it becomes this exponential effect. And then lives are being lived in a far better way. There's being flourishing brought all because God is getting glory. And people have more joy because of it. So the ultimate meaning is to glorify God and enjoy him. So our verses say that two places. So verse 19, it talks about how all, he will meet all of our needs in the glory in Christ Jesus. So all of our needs are met. Now, that doesn't mean if you ask for a million dollars, poof, a million dollars is going to come. That's not what it's talking about. This is about spiritual needs. And so you have this spiritual need that's met in Christ. And guess what happens? When your spiritual needs are met in Christ, emotionally, your emotional needs are now being met more and more and more. And that will affect you physically, actually. That'll give you more wisdom in life. And so you will lead to even to a better life physically. You'll be less stressed emotionally. So that affects you. You will live longer because of that. But it all starts with these spiritual needs that you have to have met in Christ. And then you start enjoying him. And then verse 20, and Paul does this a lot. Like, Paul just gets super, he's just like talking about Jesus and he gets super excited. And then all of a sudden he just erupts in like this praise. And he says, all this glory be to God forever and ever and ever. And he just gets so excited. It's like he's worshiping God in this moment. And for Paul, that's the reason that he's alive. That's the reason he's living. Everything he does, he's trying to say, I'm doing this for the glory of God. And the bomb is this. The truth bomb is we are all really just living for our own glory. And we're all just really living for our own kingdom. If we're going to be honest and we're going to investigate what our motives are saying. And here's what we're doing. Come on, this is going to sound very familiar to you. You're not going to want to admit it, but here's what you're doing. You're building your own little empire. And you're building up walls in some type of way in your life. And the walls are there to kind of keep you comfortable. And the walls are there to keep you safe and secure. And you're building, and you've got your people that are part of this little empire that you're building. And you're loving them and they're loving you. And that's a beautiful thing. And you're doing all these things to create this peace in your life and this contentment in your life. And the problem is you are building something that will fall down. The problem is it's your kingdom and it's for your glory. And you're doing it because you're terrified, because you feel unsafe, and you're just trying to feel something in this world like you can just breathe a little bit and find some contentment. And you're not going to be happy, because you need a purpose bigger than the, your own glory to fight for. Some, and, and, and I'm telling you, you'll see this. Like, you'll see people, like people in the church know what I just said. But you look at people who've been in churches their whole life, 
and they look just miserable. Like they're not happy people. And do you know why? Because they're, they're working so hard for their own glory, their own kingdom, because we're all doing it. We're all just fighting for our kingdom to come. There's so, I'm saying there's so much in us that wants us to live, we want to live for ourselves, and it's stealing away our moxie, and it's stealing away our joy, it's stealing away our contentment, it's stealing away our peace, it's stealing away from the grit and the bravery that we need to walk through life. So let me give you a definition of sin. Sin is being unconscious to this idea that we are made to live for the glory of God and enjoy him. Or sin is to just ignore that completely and not live for his glory. It's like, you know, the kid who sleeps through class, like I did that, but you sleep through class because you're just incredibly, like you're not seeing any purpose behind it. But let's say that that kid sleeps through the most profound thing ever being said. Well, this is what potentially happens in our life. We are sleeping to the idea that we ought to be living for the glory of God. And in every single thing that we are doing, we ought to be doing for the glory of God. And I think for many people, this sounds incredibly strange to live for the glory of God. But the question is, if we're not living for the glory of God, what are the alternatives? Like, if we're not going to live for God's glory, what are we? Because you're going to live for the glory of something. That's just what the Bible's saying. We are created in such a way to live for the glory of something. Whatever you love most in life, you end up living so that that thing might be glorified, and then you go to that thing to get joy in your life. So what are the alternatives? Live for your, your glory? We say, well, no, that doesn't sound right. That sounds selfish. Well, should we live for the glory of others? Well, if you live for the glory of your kids, you're going to spoil them. And they're going to expect everyone in their life to be living for their glory. And that's not going to happen. And it's going to crush them and it's going to mess them up in life. And they're going to be spoiled. And they're not going to learn how to live for others because they're expecting everyone to live for them. Or you do this with, with your love interest or your spouse. And you do this and then here's what happens. You put this spouse as the ultimate love in your life and, or this love interest. And then, because they have the most love, or now they're being the most glorified in your life, you're glo- going to that person to get joy. And if they're not giving you joy, then you're just like coming at them like, come on, you got to give me joy. You got to make me happy. And they can't do it because you're meant to get happiness and joy from somewhere else. And so you crush them underneath the neediness that you have for them to give you joy. So why is it good to give God glory? Because he's the only one that knows what to do with it. He's the only one who has enough glory to know what to do with the glory because he's made to have the glory. If you're going to find something worth living for, it has to be able to contain the glory that you are living for with it. So what are you living for? And can the thing that you're living for actually hold the glory that you are living for it to have? If it's not God, it can't. That's the argument that the, that the Bible makes. I mean, we want to love people, and we should love people. And the ultimate way to love people is to point them to a love that's greater than your love for them and a place for them to get far more joy than what you can give them. So the best thing I can do with my kids is to create environments of love and joy. The best that I can do is to create those environments, but what I need to do better than that is to point them to one who really can give them the ultimate joy and the ultimate love, and it's not me. 
because I can't be there for them when they go through difficult things all the time, but God can always be there with them and for them. Why else? Why else should it be that God gets the glory? Because I know this kind of like, I know how you're feeling right now, and you're like, yeah, that sounds right, but it doesn't feel right to me. It's because you want that glory. So why else should God get the glory? Because strangely, here's the strangest thing about God. You give him glory, you know what he does with it? He gives it away. You give him power, he gives it away. Watch, let me show you what I mean. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is, by the way, this is like the heart of what everything in Philippians is saying. Everything's working off of and pointing back to this. Listen, so this is God giving away glory, and by him giving away glory, he becomes all the more glorious. It's so weird. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he's not counting his glory, something he can grasp, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like, he deserves glory, but he becomes a servant. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's like, man, God has created us, and he created us in such a way for us to glorify him, but we hated it, and we did not want to do that, and so we ran from it, and we said, no, God, I don't want to glorify you. I want the glory because I want to build my own kingdom where I can make things exactly how I want it, not how you want it. And so we rebelled and we said, no way, you're not getting the glory. We took the glory and we threw it away and we said, no way, God, it's not for you. And he says, you know what, I'm coming for you anyways. And even though you're doing everything you can to ignore my glory, I'm gonna show you something that you can't look away from. And he comes and he dies in our place. And we look at him on the cross, hanging, God hanging upon the cross for us. And we say, wow, look at God to do this for us. And we say, ah, and then because of that, he's highly exalted. And we say, wow, you are even far more glorious than I even knew that you could be because you lost your glory. And, or, and by doing that, you become all the more glorious. You would never do that with glory. I would never do that with glory. It's only him because he knows what to do with it. He's made to have it. You will abuse the glory that you get, unless, of course, you learn from him and follow in his pattern, but we naturally will abuse the glory that we get, and he gives away glory to be abused so you can see his glory. Did you hear that? You would take power and abuse it. He gives the power away, and by giving the power away, it makes him all the more powerful. His glory alone is proof that he's the only one that has worthy of the glory. There's a Bible verse that says, in everything we do, we have to do for the glory of God. Now, what I want to get you to see today is that your meaning in life is to take responsibility for God being glorified in your life. And then you'll have moxie. And you'll have found something big enough to live for, something great enough to live for. And when pain and suffering come, 
You push through it. In fact, you are so passionate about living for God's glory that you put yourself in situations that you know will cause pain and suffering, but you're doing it because you want him to be glorified through it. And that gives you joy because now God is being glorified and it's your ultimate purpose in life. And so God is, God is being glorified and it's the ultimate purpose in your life. Pain and suffering can't steal you joy, but even pain and suffering can cause you more joy because you're seeing God glorified as you're walking through the pain and suffering. It's like, my mind is being blown right now, even as I'm saying it, and I've already said this like multiple times. But you have to take responsibility for that in your life. And we love to run from responsibility. You know, um, I guess I would be considered the oldest millennial I could be, but maybe not a millennial. But millennials uh, like to be given a hard time about being privileged or irresponsible or whatever it might be. And usually they're given a hard time by the very people who created them. Um, so I don't know quite why. And also those are the same people that covered up wood floors with carpet. So I don't know if we could trust what they say about millennials. However, let me just defend, let me just defend millennials. Or, and this is for all of us, but let me just defend millennials for a minute. And it's going to sound very millennial what I'm about to say. Because some of us are privileged, okay? I'll admit that. But I think most millennials want to change the world. And they haven't found something grand enough to fight for. They haven't found something big enough for them to fight for. That sounds so millennial to say, but look, it's exactly right, though. This is what this is saying, is that we need a meaning that is so far greater than us. And if we will find that meaning and live for it and fight for it, then it's going to give us happiness and joy in our life because it's what we're made to do. It's like something that doesn't live doing what it's made to do can never have joy because it's constantly fighting against what it's wired to do. And so what does it mean to live for God's glory? Well, it doesn't mean that every time you meet someone, you're like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. I just want you to know that God is so awesome. Oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. I just want you to know God is awesome. Oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. I just want you to know God is awesome. And you just keep saying this, and people are like, oh, my gosh, what is happening with this person? Why does this person keep telling me this every time I'm talking to them or handing out cards or, like, when someone's going through difficult stuff in life and they're like, God is awesome, and they're going through pain, and you're like, God is awesome. It doesn't make any sense to them. And that doesn't glorify God. But if you want to glorify God, here's what you do. Whatever you do in life, whatever you're already doing in life, whatever your job is, whatever neighborhood you live in, whatever your family situation, whatever your situation in life is, whatever it is, whether you like it or not, glorify God in it. Whatever your situation is. If you're happy with the way you, where you're at in life or you're not, it doesn't matter. Your purpose is to glorify God. And if you'll see that, then you will be more happy. And now I realize that sounds overwhelming because it means every single thing that you do, your focus is for God's glory. Your meaning is for God's glory. And you feel like, oh man, that feels overwhelming. And I want to tell you something. It doesn't really matter how you feel. You have to take responsibility for this is what you were created to do. So it doesn't matter how you feel about it. You've got to take responsibility for this is what God has made you to do in life. And, and here's the thing. He's not just made you to do it. He's commanded you to do it. But not only has God commanded you to do it, because if God's commanding you to do something, he always gives you the resources that are needed to actually do it. 
And he's wired you in such a way so that you'll want to do it. So there's part of you that's fighting it and part of you that loves it. And if you'll just live into it, you'll actually see that this feels really good. <coughs> but we don't. We don't do it. And I think we, partly we feel like we might seem weird if we did that. But let me just push back a little bit. So if you're thinking, oh man, I would, it seems a little bit weird to live for his glory. Like the world's not going to understand that. Um, and, and that could be the case. <clears throat> but could it also be that you really aren't too worried about his glory? What you're more worried about is if you appear weird to someone, then by appearing weird to them, you're going to lose a bit of glory and you're going to lose a little bit of your kingdom. And now that scares you. And so you don't want to do things that are going to make you lose your kingdom. Or you're just simply scared about what would happen if you tried to live for God's glory. And so by doing that, you just take the comfortable route and say, I'll sit, I'll listen, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to what the God, God's word says, but I'm going to kind of just remain idle and inactive because it's kind of playing it safe and then my kingdom remains safe. And by the way, it doesn't have to be weird. In fact, it shouldn't be weird when you're living for God's glory because the Christian is called the light of the world and the Christian is shining the light the most when they are glorifying God. And together, collectively, we're called a city on a hill, which means the city around us ought to get hope from the way we Christians gather together and live in such a way that gives hope to the world. So it doesn't have to be weird. But... And, and I will tell you this, it is possible for your kingdom to crumble as you're seeking to build God's kingdom. But who cares? The Bible is even telling you, crumble up your kingdom and throw it away because it's going to fade anyways. But live for God's kingdom that will never fade and never crumble. <coughs> Does anybody have any water? <coughs> yeah, can I have it though? I didn't bring Moxie today, Moxie Cola, so I'm a little in trouble. I don't know what just happened. But in what I'm doing, I ought to be glorifying God, even as I'm enjoying this water for the glory of God. All right. We have to stop living with excuses for why we aren't glorifying God, because we got him. We got tons of excuses. <clears throat> Maybe it's that I don't know how to share, like, I don't know how to tell people about Christianity. So, because I don't know how to tell people about Christianity, I can't glorify God. Or I don't know how to pray, so I can't, how can I glorify God? Or I don't even know how to go to work and glorify God, so how am I going to do all of this stuff? I don't know how to do this. I don't understand the Bible. I just want you to tell you that, that I want to tell you that that's on you. If you don't know how to explain Christianity, like, you have to take responsibility for that reality. Because listen, if this is your ultimate meaning in life, the ultimate reason for you to be living, and you don't know how to live into it, that's on you to figure it out. Now it's on me too. Like that's my responsibility to you all. But here's what I'm saying. If you came up to me and you were like, David, I really want to know like how, how to tell people about Christianity, like I'm dying for that to happen. Or you just come and tell me, I don't know how to really pray. Can you help me do this? Yes, I can. Uh, I don't know how to bring my faith out at work. Like, can you help me do this? Yes, I can. You got to take responsibility, though. This is on you. This is your purpose and calling in life. God has created you for this. And also, there's something called Google. 
like back in the day, people want to find something out and they've got to go on this month-long quest on their camel or on their horse and they've got to trek through the mountains and they've got to do battle with villages of lions and they've got to go out into the seas and battle the Loch Ness Monster or whatever it is. But guess what? You have Google. Or you have Siri, and you could just be like, oh, hey, Siri, I've got a question. How do I tell someone what Christianity says? And then Siri gives you all of this list because she's always listening to you, and she gives you this whole huge list of all of the ways that you can share what Christianity is saying. If you want to be happy, you've got to take the responsibility for the meaning that God has called you to live into and go glorify him. And you look around and what's happening around you and you take responsibility for it. If you see someone who needs to be loved and they're not being loved, that's on you. Go and love them. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't go and tell someone, hey, this person, we need to make sure someone's loving this person. You just go and love them. It's on you. If, if in, in your friendship, like your friendships, if like your friendship isn't going the way you want it to go, that's on you. You got to do, you got to do in your friendship what will glorify God the most. And what will glorify God the most is always loving. And so you figure out what the best way to love that person is. And it's on you to figure it out in the end. That responsibility falls on you. And when you fail, all is good. There's something in the Bible that's held in tension. It's the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, meaning God is in control, he's glorious, and he's powerful. He's in control, and at, like a king, the king of kings. Yet, we have this responsibility, and it's a mystery of how the two work together. Like, we don't understand it. There's no science experiment that will tell you how they work together. It's just that God has promised that they do. And so that means when you fail, it's okay because God's in control. Your job is to be responsible to the calling that God has given you, which is to work for his glory. And if you fail at something, that's okay. Somehow it's going to be for his glory. So you're good with it. How that works, it's a mystery. There's another tension in the Bible. It's the grace of God and human responsibility. That means when you sin, like you're like, God, I should live for your glory, but you sin. You know what you get to do? You get to go right to God and you say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. And he's like, it's okay. Look at the cross. Everything's been covered. Now go and glorify me. And then you go and you try to glorify him and you mess up and you sin. And you're like, oh God, I messed up again. Like I did this again. I'm really sorry that I have done this. And he's like, it's, it's, it's cool. I handled it on the cross. Go, go glorify me. And then you do it again in this cycle over and over and over again. And it's a beautiful thing because that's how we are. That's how humanity is. We keep messing up over and over and over again, but we have a God who's covered us completely by the works of the cross. He's dealt with our sins and we can always return back to him and he's always gracious to us and loves us and then he strengthens us to go live for the very meaning and purpose which we are meant to live for, which is his glory. And we enjoy every bit of it. And I'm gonna tell you this right now. None of this makes sense until you've seen his grace. To live, the idea of living for God's glory sounds crazy until his grace becomes very apparent to you. 
until you've gotten to the point to where you're on your knees before God and you feel the weight of all of your sin, and then all of a sudden you understand the cross and what it is meant for, and you see that the God of the cosmos has come and he's died on the cross in place of your sins, and all of your sins have been covered, and he threw his glory aside so that he could do all this, because the problem is we can't get to God, and if we can't get to God, then we can't see his glory, and if we can't see his glory, then we can't have joy, and he sees us desperately searching for joy in all the wrong places, so he comes and chases us down and he gives his life on the cross so that we might have access back to God and then having access back to God, now we have this great joy in our life. There's this, so our verses today, every, almost every one of Paul's letters, he starts with the grace of God and he ends. So he says grace to you and the letter ends with grace be with you. Meaning the front and the end, and the same as the Christian life. It starts off with the grace of God, and it, and it continues with the grace of God. And so here's what it looks like. Someone first becomes a Christian, and they turn into like this giddy little high school girl who's finally like fallen in love for the first time. Because you have found a love that is from outside of this world, and it's changed everything about you. You've seen this grace, and you see the love that God has for you, and you turn into a giddy little high school girl, and it's amazing, and you're infatuated, and then something happens in your life, and you, 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 say, you say, God, I don't understand you anymore. And it's, things get really hard. And then you take the grace of God that is with you. And when you do that and you remind yourself of all that God's done for you, of him laying his glory aside, then something happens. You get to a deeper level of love with God. And you get into a maturity. But you had to face some things and you had to question God maybe a little bit. But now that you've done that and now you understand his grace because it was confusing you before, but you had to ask the question. And as you asked the question, you went further and further into the depths of grace. And now your maturity with God is growing and growing and growing. And when it gets hard to do all of that stuff and you're ready to like, God, I don't get you anymore, you go back and you remind yourself the grace that he brought to you on the cross. And you see that grace and it strengthens and it stirs something inside of you that you want to live for his glory because look at what he's done for you. What else would you live for? And then it starts fading away and then you go back and do it again and then you see that he's risen from the grave and he's broken through death and he's busted through it and now he's building the world that you long for where all things are right. And that reality that reality makes you fight because this is what we're called to do, to bring his kingdom now so that you start fighting for his kingdom to come now and his glory. And as his glory comes, that means his kingdom is coming all at the same time and the world begins to flourish more and more and it starts to begin to look more and more like heaven because you became someone of moxie because you discovered grace. So go to him and find grace. You'll find a purpose to live for and you'll fight for his glory and you'll see other people finding it, and you'll see a world that begins to change more and more and more, all because you found grace. Father, we pray now that as we close this series out, that anything that is in us that is keeping Moxie out, that you would move it and you would show us the grace that you have given us, and it would move us into people who have peace and contentment and joy, and people who are gritty and determined to fight for your kingdom, to fight for your glory. God, show us, show us your grace.
please. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.